Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. If you will, stay standing for the reading of God's Word. Today's reading comes from John chapter 4, the verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Heavenly Father, today we seek living water. Father, we realize the thirst is ours, and only you can satisfy. Father, help us realize that the thirst is yours, and you love us more than anything we can understand or know. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's holy name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today is the fourth week of our study through the Gospel of John. And one of the things we've noticed along the way is that John includes certain stories, certain encounters and conversations that... The other three gospel writers don't include. And and it's not that John is, is making these things up at all. It's that John has a little different perspective. And he's including some of these conversations as he shares that perspective. And, and, and last week, well, two weeks ago, we saw that we were at a wedding and Jesus turned water into wine in Cana. This was the first sign. And then last week we, uh, we, we, we got to listen into a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. This week we get to hear another conversation. Now it's worth noting, because we study Bible here, that this is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the Bible including those with his disciples. So maybe 
at very least, we should, we should listen in because there's something significant about this conversation in particular. Another interesting thing to consider about this conversation is its placement. And here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is that in John chapter 3, we met, Jesus, we, met, we met a man named Nicodemus. First of all, we know his name. And what we found out about Nicodemus is that he was powerful. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He's influential. He's well-educated, a Pharisee. He's, he's got it. Whereas in John chapter 4, this longer conversation is with a woman who remains unnamed, who has no influence, who has no position, who has no power. Her education isn't mentioned. As a matter of fact, the only thing that's really mentioned consistently is that she spends a lot of her days ashamed. And I point that out because there's good news right up front that Jesus will come to the up and in and Jesus will go to the down and out. You see, in John 3, we're taught this lesson, that there is no one beyond the need of grace. No matter how much together Nicodemus had it, there was, he was never beyond the need of grace. Amen? All right, John chapter 4 is going to teach us that there's no one beyond the reach of grace. That no matter how far you've gotten, no matter how, how ashamed you feel, how outside you think you are, you are never beyond the reach of God's grace. Man, I'm ready. I'm ready to preach, and we're just in the introduction. Like, I, I'm fired up already. Jesus is the Son of God who came to save sinners. Remember the purpose of this gospel. I tell you these things that you may believe. John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. I show you the evidence so that you may believe. And in believing in Jesus, have life. Evidence, belief, life. This is so that you may believe. I'm sharing this with you. So let's join the text and see what's happening. I'm going to start in, in verse 4 as we work through this text and note some things here. John, fourth chapter, beginning in the fourth verse. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Had to. Unless he didn't. Right? That's the way that works. I, I, I had to do it, unless you didn't. You see, here's the deal. It's pretty well known at the time of this event that Jesus really only had to go through Samaria if he was going as the crow flies. If he's going from Judea to Galilee, he's got to pass through Samaria as long as he wants to take a straight shot. But at the time that this is being said, there is already a well-traveled route that Jews from Judea would take, that would take them up and around across the Jordan and back across it when they got up towards, towards Galilee so that they didn't have to pass through Samaria. He only has to go if he chooses to go. Or... If the purpose of going through Samaria is to talk to this woman, 
Well, then he has to go through Samaria. So, so as long as his purpose, if his purpose was simply getting to Galilee, he doesn't have to go through here. But if his purpose is meeting this woman and having this conversation, then he does have to go through Samaria. I guess it's a matter of perspective. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know, Kenny, they, I was thinking about this and this kind of messed me up a little bit. And so I thought, that's perfect, that's what I want to tell them. Jesus, I don't know if y'all are ready for this, sometimes Jesus has a compelling need to go to people that I might wish he'd avoided. <laughs> I'm not saying, see, in theory, people are great. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know I'm a pastor, and so like, yeah, everyone's great. Like everyone, I love everyone, but I love everyone kind of generally. It's when I meet everyone specifically, when I meet anyone, we got to do a little balance work. Okay, so, 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 <laughs> there are some people that I would like to avoid altogether, and I might even, uh, some of our more sanctified folks don't do this, but I may have before gone out of my way to get where I wanted to go so that I didn't have to encounter someone who would have been on the way had I just taken the shortest route. I don't, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm confessing right now. Okay, this is my heart on, on, on stage. I have gone out of the way to make sure I didn't. And sometimes I'm finding out Jesus has a compelling need to go and spend time with the people I would rather avoid. In, in verse 6, we get this picture of Jesus that is very human. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jesus is tired. And so he sits down next to the well. A very human picture of Jesus. He sits down next to the what? The well. Sits down next to the well. Got it. What did he sit down next to? Now, here's why that's important, chap. Since the dawn of history, cities were built or not built based on their access to water. So, so for all the things that this town may have or may develop or may do, the single most important factor to why this city's even there is the well, because there's water. Okay, that's what made this gift from Jacob to Joseph so meaningful, is that it's a place where there's water, which means it's a place where people will gather. Everyone goes to the well. Shepherds go to the well, so do sheep. Kings and commoners both go to the well. 
haves and have nots, influential people, non-influential people. Everyone ends up at the well because everyone needs water. Now isn't it just like God to meet us at a place where every single one of us has a need? You see, he came to meet us at a place that connects us. Where we all come together. He came and met us at a place that unites us. Everyone gets thirsty. He didn't didn't stay in the temple because the temple divides them. He he doesn't always stay in our church building because I'll be honest with you. Sometimes our church buildings divide us. They had a what on stage? I'm I'm, I'm preaching at this point. When I walk away from the notes, we all take a deep breath. There's there's a place where he could have met us that would have been us divided. Instead, he goes to the place where we are all connected, where we're all united, where we're not divided, and he sits at the well... Because sooner or later, no matter how well you're doing or how much you have, everyone is going to have to come to the well. And this time, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, it was typically a woman's task to draw water for her household. What's different about this particular woman is what it mentioned in verse 6, that it was noon when she came to do it, and that she comes alone. You see, this is something that, 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 a, that a mother or a wife or a woman in a household would normally have to do, and so they would go, but they would go as a group. You know, ladies sometimes do things as groups. I'll just leave it at that. All right, and, 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 and so they would, they would go as a group so they could talk while they're doing this, so that they could interact while they're doing this. So the only reason you would go by yourself is if you didn't want to talk or interact or see anyone. She's going when it's hotter rather than when it's cooler. She's going when it's lonelier. And I think she's doing it on purpose. She's not looking for a conversation. And Jesus, though comes up to her and says, I thirst. For the record, this is the only time Jesus is going to say he's thirsty uh, until we see him hanging on the cross and he says these same words. I, I thirst. I'm thirsty. Will you give me a drink? Now this is, if you missed it, problematic. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in case you didn't get the implication of what she's saying, John's nice enough to provide a good parenthetical statement for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. He wants you to know that this is problematic. This is, this is politically incorrect that Jesus is not simply tiptoeing around the edge of dicey decorum. Jesus is storming through some of the most dangerous and important barriers of his day and age. Race. Religion. Gender. 
I know it's hard to imagine a world where those are still dicey waters. <laughs> and Jesus, I'll tell you what, there's good news here because Jesus is willing to break any barrier to reach the lost. So Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And she says, why, why are you even talking to me? Verse 10. This is interesting because something turns here. All right? Vicki, we, ha- we have a moment, and now it's going to turn. This is a critical moment. Verse 10, it says, if you knew the gift of God, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus began the conversation for asking a drink for himself. But now it turns, and, he, and the conversation shifts to how Jesus can provide water for her. And he says, if you knew who asked you, you would ask and I'd give you living water. Living water. Now, now what happens in John is that Jesus will say something and people will hear him, but they don't hear it on the same level. That they will stay kind of at the surface level of what the words mean. And Jesus has gone to a deeper level. We saw it last week. For instance, he told Nicodemus, you must be... Born again, right? Born anew, born from above, however you like to say it. I like all three. And, 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 and he says, here's what we got. We got born again. And Nicodemus keeps it right at the surface and says, um, so how do I do that? I can't like go back into my mother's womb. Keeps it right there at the surface. But Jesus has a deeper meaning, a spiritual truth that he's communicating with the phrase born again, that it takes a little bit of looking, it takes a little bit of seeking in order to find that meaning. Now he comes to this woman and he says, I would have given you living water. And in her mind, she keeps it right here on the surface and says, water that's alive. That would be running water. Like a river as opposed to a lake. All right, so, so she's thinking the water needs to be moving. Well, I'm looking at a well. There's only one place where this well has running water. That'd be the spring, the source. She says, well, look, the well's pretty deep and you don't even have a bucket. He said living water. She thought he meant water that looks alive, running water. But Jesus means more than that. He's on a deeper level talking about living water. He means the gift of God that only he can give. The living water. So interesting this verse. He says, if you knew the gift of God. First off, it's a gift. If you knew the gift of God, it's a gift. Not a reward. It's a gift. But it's a gift, so what do I do? Listen to it. He says it. If you knew the gift of God, who asked you for a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you had known and asked. So if you knew that it's a gift, you would have asked for it. So what what do I do? I know God, and I ask. And God gives gifts. 
she hears him say running water, she doesn't realize the true nature of her thirst. She's looking for relief in all the wrong places, no matter how much they seem like the right places. After all, if you are thirsty, Katie, you probably would go to the well. That seems to make sense. And Jesus says, you think you're headed to the right places, but you're not actually getting any relief. She says to him in verse 12, are are you greater than Jacob? You don't don't have a bucket. The well's deep. How are you going to get to the spring? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? Now, this is that moment in the conversation where Jesus could say, first off, you're a Samaritan, not a Jew. Jacob didn't give you anything. He had his name changed to Israel, not Samaria. This isn't your well. This is our well. All right, he could say that, but he doesn't. He could say... Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He could say, yes. I mean, that's a pretty easy answer. Yeah, believe it or not, I'm greater than him. Instead, he tells her the source of the living water and the nature of the living water. He tells her the source of the living water and the nature of the living water. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water I give them That's the source of the living water. Jesus is saying, you're you're not seeing it right. You see, you're looking at that well and thinking, that's Jacob's well. But Jesus is actually saying, look at me, because I'm really Jacob's well. That if you had eyes to see, you would see who's asking you. That the real source of your relief and your satisfaction is me. The things of this world do not last. That there's a natural well with natural water. But there is a spiritual well. Jesus himself is Jacob's well. And the living water meets every need. It's almost like there's a taste test in front of her. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I don't have to keep coming back here to draw water. This is about the sufficiency of Christ. If you drink from my water, you'll never be thirsty again. You see, the satisfaction that Jesus gives is both internal and eternal. Man, that deserved a little bit better. I appreciated the six of y'all that said amen. I'm not going to lie to you, though. That deserved a little bit better. I'm going to try it your way. There we go. All right. That that works way better. (laughs) 
That, that the satisfaction Jesus gives is both internal and eternal. As a matter of fact, this is, this is how Jesus satisfies our needs completely. In just three chapters, Jesus is going to say to the people, it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Praise him. You see, here's the deal. I get the source wrong, and so the water I'm drinking doesn't satisfy really. It's a temporary fix. And here's how I know I'm buying into temporary fixes. It's because I look at Jesus' love in relation to the circumstances all around me. Rather than looking at my circumstances in light of Jesus' love for me. And so I know that I'm seeking temporary relief because I've got it backwards. She says, I'll never thirst again. Well, give me that water. She asks for the water. She doesn't fully understand what she's asking for. But she asks for it. And maybe, I know, I know, we've been at it a few thousand years. So we know a little bit of something. But maybe some of y'all can relate. I don't know if there's anyone else here that's a little tired of the endless monotony of getting up and going to the same places every day to get the same thing every day. Is there anyone else ready to get out of the ruts that keep us doing the same things over and over but never feeling like we're getting anything done? Is there anyone else with a cycle that keeps you coming back around to get temporary relief? And I spend my life finding things that will pacify and never getting to something that will satisfy. Yes, yes. In a master stroke, Jesus says, You know what? Call your husband. Go call your husband, come back. She kind of stammers and says, Well, um, I, I, I have no husband. And, and, and what we find out is she tells the truth, but she doesn't tell the whole truth. She kind of she stammers a little bit and then says, I'm going to keep this pretty clean. I'm just going to say uh, I'm not married right now. Because this woman, this woman has, it's complicated as her relationship status on her Facebook profile. Right? It's complicated. That she, she's... <clears throat> She's in what, what church folk will refer to, and I don't know, I don't know how many of you are aware of that. I'm, I'm going to talk to my pastors here for a minute. What church folk will refer to as a situation. She's involved in a situation. All right. That, that, they're not married, but, the, you know, it's a situation. Now, don't, don't miss me. And don't miss the gospel because God will speak to people who are in situations. 
Because God doesn't condone the situation, but God loves you enough regardless of the situation to speak into whatever situation you're in and bring you to real life. Jesus speaks into the light, the truth that she would like to keep in the dark. The reason she's showing up at noon alone. Jesus speaks that out into the light. And the Word of God, y'all need to understand this. The Word of God doesn't simply reveal God. The Word of God reveals you. The Word of God will show you yourself. And, and, and as a matter of fact, it's when that happens that we receive the ministry that changes us forever and makes us healthier. The Word of God reveals just how much of our lives are shaped and formed between the hammer and anvil of honor and shame. Five husbands, either by death or divorce. Traditionally, I will tell you preachers have slandered this woman as a woman of ill repute, a woman who was unfaithful. I can tell you I've read this story a lot and it never says that. There's not one mention of it. And if I were preaching a different sermon, I might say it just might be the case that there's a room full of hammers that just can't seem to look at anything without seeing a nail. But I don't want to lose my job. <laughs> so I'm just, yeah, praise him. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to say that and then move on real quickly. That we've tended to say this woman must be sexually immoral, but that's not the only reason that you could have been in the situation that she's in. What if she couldn't have children and the whole reason that someone would marry her is so that she would provide for them an heir. She would provide for them children and she can't do the one thing that a wife is supposed to do, a woman is supposed to do for her husband in this time and place. And so rather than foot the bill for someone who can't give you what you want, you go ahead and give her a certificate of divorce and all of a sudden, five husbands later, she's so tired of it that she's says, I don't want to marry you to the guy that she's with. And he says, I'm not looking for a marriage. And she says, then I think I've found home. It's amazing when these stop being so easy. She could be barren. I would you don't have to read much Bible to know that God really likes barren women. Sarah? Rebecca, you starting to recognize, Rachel, you starting to recognize some of these names? Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't mind working through them. Either way, she's coming to the well at noon because she's tired of the shame that's being heaped on her. Whatever the reason is, she's tired of watching dads pull their sons aside and saying, now you don't want to marry a woman like that because she'll run around on you. Avoid a woman like that. Besides, she's just a dried up tree. She's not going to give you any kids anyway. Is she tired of moms pulling up their daughters and saying, you know, if you don't live right, this is what God will do to you. 
She's tired of being the example of a life that's gone off the rails. And so she says, I'm just not going to go while everyone else is there. I'll go when it's hotter. I'll go when it's quieter, when it's lonelier. That's the kind of place I'm looking for. And the long road to humility begins with a confession and an admission. Where Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. I, I, I'm running out of time. As a matter of fact, some of you are like, yeah, you ran out of that. Um, I'll finish up. I just want to point out verse 29 where she comes and she says, she goes run, she puts down her jar. Whole reason she went out there in the first place was to get some water. Puts down her jar, runs outside of the town and says, come see a man who told me everything about me. Could this be the Messiah? She, the, the road to humility, she's on the long road back. But it starts with confession. It starts with, ad, with admitting that, that this is where my life is. The word that God gave her has, has, has revealed herself to her. And now she's become someone with a testimony, with a story to share, that she runs out and she says, come look at the man who told me everything about me. And somehow, somehow, I think it's different this time. The rest of y'all have been talking about me plenty. This guy I don't even know, and he spoke to me, but it wasn't to judge me, it was to heal me. And she becomes the first evangelist in the New Testament. She's planting the seeds that in Acts chapter 8, Philip is going to harvest. When he heads to Samaria and he finds people who are receptive to the good news of Jesus, how did they find out about it? I can tell you, I can count at least one person who's already told them about Jesus. She says to him, I see you're a prophet. She's not simply deflecting. She's recognizing you know more about me than you ought to know. You must be from God. So she asks her best question for God's representatives. She asks the best question that you can come up with. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Who's right? If you had a one-on-one with God... You might get around to saying, you know, there's a lot of religions. Even within Christianity, there's a lot of faith. Now, we're all kind of doing the same thing, but there's some differences. So which one of us is right? And Jesus answers her. And he says, believe me, there's a time coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and and has now come. It's here. He told his mom in Cana, my time hasn't yet come. He tells this woman, the time has now come. When you... 
will worship when, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth. For those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and truth. Jesus' answer reveals that worship is not about the location of the building. This mountain or that mountain, not about the location. Jesus answers her and he tells her it's not about the sign on the front of the building. It's not about the simple forms of the presentation. It's about the substance. It's about the object of your worship. It's about the content of your faith. But look at the end of verse 23. These are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The Father seeks people to worship Him. Oh man, don't miss this. She wasn't seeking God. She was going to the well. Jesus, yes, Jesus was going to the well because God was seeking her. This is what's happening here, that God is seeking her. God is seeking, our God is a seeking God. Adam, where art thou? I went King James, I got so excited, Clint. (laughs) That God since Genesis 3 and verse 8 has been seeking his people. And I praise his name that he's still seeking sinners who will hear his call to worship. There we go. Praise him. God is spirit. This is a confession about the nature of God. God is spirit. 1 John 1, 5, God is light. 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. Hebrews 12, 29, God is a consuming fire. This is who God is. God is spirit and his worshipers will worship him in spirit. You wanted water, so you came for water. God wants spirit, so he's looking to you to give him spirit. Praise him. She then says, okay, so I know that Messiah called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. She's not offering up a random observation about the possible coming of Jesus one day. Like Nicodemus last week, she's following a hunch that this man has gone from prophet to a little something else. So this is some pretty... some pretty deep water she says there's a Messiah that's coming and he's going to say everything he's going to make everything plain you wouldn't happen to know him would you in John 4 26 Jesus says Yeah, he's coming. 
Yeah, I'm here. I'm him. Praise him. And what if God's message to her, this woman who was alone, this woman, Kenny, go ahead and bring your team up, this woman who was ashamed, this woman who was tired and came to the well. What if Jesus is letting her know? What if Jesus is letting me know? What if Jesus is letting you know that God thirsts for you just like you thirst for water? That Jesus himself is that living water and it's a taste test. And you are being invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. And so the question is, will you come to the water and believe and have life? Now, I, I see them here, and so I'm going to embarrass them for a minute. I see Luke and I see Noah, Tannis. Y'all stand up for a second. They're right back there. I'm embarrassing these young men because they, they found the water, didn't you? That, that earlier this year, y'all made a decision that will change the rest of your life. And both of them were baptized into Christ by their dad. In the Atlantic Ocean, right? It's hard to get water more alive than that. Here's what's crazy, though. Y'all can sit down. Here's what's crazy. The, same, the, the water up here is just as alive. Because it's not about just the waves. It's about who's in it. Will you come to the water? Be baptized into Christ. Will you believe and receive the life that God is seeking for you? Because you are loved, because you are chosen, because God wants you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.